Well, we're going to answer the question, where is Mount Sinai? Where is Mount Sinai? And probably a more important question, why does it matter? And I'll just give you my quick answer of why does it matter? Because it's, if it's in the Bible, it matters, right? Now, do we need to know exactly where Mount Sinai is today to live a successful Christian life? We don't. But if it happened, uh, it's a real place. And you can't necessarily move mountains, you know, unless there's a gigantic global flood or a volcano that blows away half a side of a mountain. But generally speaking, the topography of that part of the world or, or any part of the world, it remains the same over, you know, three or 4,000 years. So therefore, we should be able to do some research and find it, but there's more to it than that. And what I'd like to do is cover this passage with you in 2 Corinthians 3, 6. The Bible says, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. Paul here is contrasting the old and the new. What do we have today that is superior than what they had then? Not of the letter, and I would say that's exactly what the Ten Commandments were. It's the literal letter of the law. You know, it said, don't kill. You know, don't commit adultery. Jesus said, don't hate. That's the spirit. The spirit's better than the letter because you might not ever kill anybody, but if you've hated your whole life, it's the same to God. It's, it's the spirit. It's the heart. Okay? Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. Then people would say, well, then why did God give the Ten Commandments? Why was there a Mount Sinai? Why? Why? Well, it was as simple, as simple as this. First of all, it was God calling out a people and he had a certain way that the people could live to show him and show salvation and bring forth the Savior. But it was also to show everybody that we failed, that we've messed up. And this whole torrid tale of the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai do exactly that. As God is literally giving the law to Moses, they're breaking the first commandment. So, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. If the menstruation of death written and engraven in stones was glorious, okay, and it was, it was, it was not a bad thing. The law is a good thing, it's not a bad thing. And it was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses. Remember when Moses came down, the second time, his face glowed and he had to put a veil over his face because he was just glowing. Have you ever seen someone and they were glowing? Usually the bride on her wedding day is glowing. The groom is bright, but not glowing. Um, so that the children of Israel couldn't look at the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. How shall not the ministration, this New Testament, this new thing of the Spirit be rather glorious? And so it's a contrast. And you see Paul doing this in other places in Galatians and Hebrews. We find that Paul is saying, look, the law isn't bad. The law was something that would bring out our awareness of our wickedness, of our sin, that we couldn't keep the law. Therefore, God had to do something beyond what we could do. 
And what, what happened is glorious. It's so much more glorious than what happened there on Mount Sinai. Let's talk about this uh, Mount Sinai a little bit here. So first of all, we'll stand by. Let me see if everything works here. We'll back out of this map, maybe. Hold on, there's still a pen. Just a showing standby. I'm going to get this to work. Maybe not. Hold on. Trying to turn off the pen. Paul, if you have any suggestions, don't hesitate to talk. It's not turning off. Any ideas? Paul? Going once? The escape key. That should always work, right? (laughs) If anyone has any ideas, actually. Okay, there we go. There we go. Okay. So now you all you all know where we are, right? On the world. You all aren't aren't so uneducated. No, you're all educated. So here we are. It's easy to find Chicago. We're right there, the bottom of Lake Michigan. So we're gonna fly across the Atlantic Ocean. The way to find Israel is just look at the Mediterranean, and there you find Israel right there. Little teeny sliver. I mean a third or a quarter the size of Illinois. So we have to start to zoom in, but it's still it's still the focal point of the world, this teeny little sliver of land. And so let me just give you a little basic understanding of um, all of this. So we have here, this is Israel. Uh, Israel goes all the way down. You see this little point right here? Uh, today it goes down to a little point, and that point at the very bottom of Israel, the very southern point, is right on the Gulf of Aqaba. And that's called the Red Sea. This whole body of water, here's the Red Sea. This is the Gulf of Suez. There's now a canal that goes all the way up to the Mediterranean. But back in the day, it didn't connect, but this finger uh, went up. So when we talk about the children of Israel, remember uh, Abraham uh, came down. God asked him to come down into Canaan, and this is Canaan. And then eventually... Uh, Joseph was sold into slavery from, from Israel, and they brought him to Egypt. He became prominent and saved Egypt and the world from a famine and became number two to Egypt. And that was great. And then all of uh, the children of Israel came down, and they, gave, they got this place that's right about in here. I'll try to draw it. If I, I probably shouldn't turn the pen back on. But uh, right about here is a place called Goshen. And they've actually found a lot of archaeological ruins that pointed to a Semitic house style. So the Semitic house would be used up in this area. It shouldn't be used in Egypt, but they find it and, and they find a lot of them. And, and Semitic pottery and, and even one of the statues had a Semitic haircut. Just a certain style that you have from different parts of the world. Well, we know that there's a new pharaoh... And he started to uh, make the, the children of Israel into slaves. And God sent a man named Moses. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house. This is Cairo. And uh, we don't know exactly where all of that was in that day. But we know that uh, Moses saw one of the Egyptians whipping one of the Hebrews and so he looked around and didn't see anyone, and he killed the man. 
Well, someone saw him and were talking about it the next day. So what did Moses do? When he was 40, he fled Egypt and he went to Midian. Why did he go to Midian? And why do we know that that's Midian? Well, there's a lot of evidence that this is Midian right here. In North West Saudi Arabia. Okay. Now, traditionally, let me get, get some of this scribbling off here. Uh, traditionally, Mount Sinai is thought to be there, and they actually call this whole peninsula the Sinai Peninsula because of Mount Sinai. Is it possible that that's not actually Mount Sinai? It's actually really possible. There's very little evidence that that's Mount Sinai. You say, well, why do they call it Mount Sinai? Well, because the emperor Constantine, after Christ, uh, sent his mom to the Mideast, and she went around uh, saying uh, these spots were the actual spots, and she didn't always have a lot of evidence for that. And so that's how that probably became misnamed. Now, why do, I don't, why do I not think it's there? Because I think it is in Midian. Now, remember when Moses fled from Egypt, he went to Midian, who did he go see? Who was he going to see there? Was that just the only place he could run? Why, why wouldn't he run back up into uh, Canaan or, or back up into Mesopotamia or who knows? Why, why did he go to Midian? Well, I think he had a relative there. And that relative is Jethro, a distant cousin. And he went there probably because that's far. It's out of Egypt. It's far enough away. They're not going to be manhunting them there. And uh, there he met a, uh, uh, several women. One was the daughter of Jethro. Jethro was called the priest of Midian. So probably had a, uh, a basic understanding of the one true God. So that's probably why he went there. And how do we know that's Midian? Well, all the ancient maps call this Midian. And there's actual evidence that I'm going to show you tonight. They still call it Midian. They still call it Jethro's well, Jethro's tombs. Okay, even today, there's plenty of toponyms, which is a place name that you can go back. And there's lots of tradition, too, of the Bedouins. Bedouins would uh, orally pass their traditions down. And I am convinced that this is Midian. This is not Midian. And we know that Mount Sinai is in Midian because uh, that's where Moses uh, saw the burning bush. That's the mountain of God when God called him to go to take the people out of Egypt. Um, it's even in the New Testament. In Galatians, it says Mount Sinai in Arabia, in Galatians, in Arabia. And some people say, well, this was considered Arabia too. Moses brought the flocks way around. No, he didn't. He brought the flocks from a hotter area here and brought them up into the mountain area here. And it just makes all sense. Now, am I being dogmatic? I'm not. We haven't done enough research on this. Other people are doing this. But we're making this series about this. And I want, I want to show it to you, uh, a little bit of, uh, of it to you tonight and help you understand uh, where is, where is uh, uh, Mount Sinai and why does it matter? And I might not be able to. So I'm going to have to hit the escape key. Yeah, didn't want to do that. There we go. There it is. It worked. Who said the escape key would work? Well, you're right. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to zoom in. And I want to show you. I just can't get that pen to turn on. 
What am I doing wrong, folks? Let's try the, let's try that, no? Okay, I think that did it. Okay, yeah, there we go. Okay, so I wanna, I wanna start by showing you where I think the crossing point was. Now, we, we know that the children of Israel fled night and day after Pharaoh let them go after Passover. And we know that he said, don't take the way of the Philistines. This is a, an actual road that's still there today. It's along the Mediterranean. And it brought, brought them right from Goshen right up to Israel. God said, don't go that way because if they see the Philistines, they'll be afraid of the war. So don't take this route, which is the natural road. Take the way of the wilderness. Well, the, here's a road right here. It's still there today. In June, I'm going to follow this road and we're going to uh, retrace some of these steps. I believe this is the way of the wilderness. And they got all the way to here and God had them stop and turn back and go down a different way. This is the way Moses would have gone to go to Midian. This is the road. This is the route. You go through a lot. You cut down south going into Midian. So what did God say to do to the children of Israel? He said, I want you to turn, turn off the road, turn off the route. And you wonder why God would do that. Well, he had a plan. His plan doesn't make sense to us, but remember they were being pursued. So I think they turned off the road about right here and they started to get into these, these dry creek beds called wadis. You see this one here and it goes all the way down to this big beach right here. Now, why do I think that's, that's the place? Because it would make sense to me if this is Midian and this is where they're trying to go, that you would cross them right into where they're trying to go. Some people have said, well, they crossed down in this area. There's big problems with that. One is it's not, it's not passable. If you took all the water out of there, it's not passable. If you took the water out of here, it's passable. It's deep. The, the center of it is about a half mile deep. But it's gradual. It's a gradient. It's a 10 mile width between these points. And the Bible said that they were, they were stuck. They got to that beach. The army of Egypt followed behind them. These are like walls. Once you get into this wadi, so they're, they're stuck here. They can't go north. They can't go south. They can't go east. They can't go backwards because of the Egyptian army. So I really believe this, and this is large enough for all the people. I believe that's the beach in Nueva where they were stuck. And in June, we're going to, again, retrace this and actually do some uh, diving here in the, in the Red Sea. What I really want to do is hire a research ship. And there's one in Israel, and we're, we're, we're looking into that, that could do a scan of the deep part. This is international waters. It's deep enough, there's no coral. It's too deep for coral. And you can't bring up coral. That's why if you find anything here or in Saudi Arabia, you can't bring it up if it has coral on it, which it will. So if you could find some things in this 27, 2800 feet deep of water, you'd obviously have to send down a, a remote sub to pick anything up. But you could, potentially, you could find the evidence. What's the evidence? Well, it's the whole army of Pharaoh. It's the chariots. The chariot wheels, they were uh, the horses. The, you, you know, would you find horse skeletons, human skeletons? Would you find armor, uh, you know, swords, arrow, bow? You could find all sorts of stuff. And these things can survive in salt water. We know that because we found really old things in salt water. Now, it could have been covered with mud. 
Uh, maybe it's covered with just enough mud to preserve it, right? So we don't know. You say, well, would you really create such an expedition? I for sure would if we could finance it. It would be hundreds of thousands of dollars, but we have a God that can do that, of course. So what I'm going to do is take you to this point. We went to this side of this uh, uh, of the beach, and I will call it the... the uh, point where they would have exited the Red Sea. And here we are driving up. And all of the video and everything's really raw. This is just me. It's not my video guys. They took it, but all the editing is mine. So if it's terrible, which it's not going to be great, uh, don't blame them. Oh, you can if you want to. Uh, so we pull up and we get out our stuff and we start to assemble all of our gear. Um, Brett and Paul were there getting all the, cause now we gotta film underwater, we gotta fly above, we gotta do all this stuff. And then there's also a Coast Guard, um, Jeep that runs, you see all the tire tracks that runs back and forth on this beach to protect it from smuggling and stuff. That's all Egypt over there. This is the Gulf of Aqaba. Again, 10 miles wide here. That was Andrew Jones, our guide. And um, I think four of us, four, no, five of us actually went snorkeling at different times here in the, in the Red Sea. And I wish we could have said we found something. We didn't, but it was still exciting. Think about that. If this is the spot where they came ashore... What a feeling that is, just to stand there. And again, it makes sense to me that this is the spot. All of it does fit topographically, geographically. And so, and and the gradient, I noticed, I could stand out here. It's not real, it doesn't drop off till further out there. And it does become coral a little bit further, further down. So you're the first ones to see some of this footage. And I had a rental mask that kept filling up. That was interesting. From swimming in the Gulf of Aqaba, the Red Sea, on the Saudi side, across from Nueva, the, the possible, probable crossing point. As you get closer to shore, well, first of all, I'm standing. And you can see how far off from shore we are right now. So this is very gradual. A drop off. I don't. We haven't come to anything steep, and I would like to actually get to a, a steeper drop off. But as you look that way, look how it just such a natural pitch up. There's lots of room for lots of people as they came up out of the sea. And as we would go further this way, if we could, it would be about 2,000 feet deep or more, maybe 2,500, 2,700 feet, but all at a natural slope. The rest of the Red Sea has these massive drop-offs and really deep points where it really wouldn't be plausible for people to be able to, to get in and back out with, the, with themselves, their, their families, their livestock. But this area, from the way up to this point of the Red Sea, is totally possible and probable. And so this is an exciting opportunity for us to be able to show you what it's like to snorkel here at the Red Sea.
If you guys spotted anything, let me know. So we finally got to a little deeper water. This is probably 30 feet or so. And the corals are all beautiful. All in this whole area. Really amazing. We swam through a whole school of these little fish. And I just kept thinking of like the whole, you know, group of Israel passing through the Red Sea. Hundreds of thousands of people walking on what was the seafloor. And you would see like these, these would be potentially barriers. So, but maybe there was a spot just to the right that I didn't see that had, um, they didn't have those corals. I'm sure God would have taken care of all that anyways. They would have had a passable route. that would have been the view they would have had as they were coming up out of the Red Sea if this is the spot. So a little bit of a taste of what that was like. Now how deep is 2,700 feet? This on the way home we went through Dubai. The Burj Khalifa Tower is a half mile tall. The same as the depth of the Red Sea. So that would have been the walls of water that they walked through. The height of that building on both sides at the deepest point. And then after they get out, the Egyptian army comes through, and as soon as they're all in the 10 miles, it collapses and just destroys Egypt. That's why they were on the shore singing in the next chapter in Exodus. Moses' song, Miriam's song, because they were free. They were delivered. There's no longer any chance Egypt's going to come get them because God saved them. It was like they were birthed. And... uh it's, a, it's an amazing picture of our salvation, isn't it? Okay, so let's talk about what would have happened next. Okay, there's the pen again. We can't get rid of the pen. We're going to figure out a way to get rid of the pen. Hold on. Was that it? Yeah, I think that's it. Okay. There we go. Okay, so now, we're, now we've crossed right here. This is the Nueva Beach, so we're right here. And the Bible says that they, they journeyed three days into the wilderness of Shur. And we mentioned it this morning. They came to a place that they would call Mara because it had bitter water. And I asked our guide, I said, were there any places in the vicinity that you could point to and say, this might have been Mara? What's the next point? Well, he said, this junction right here, I don't know that this is it. There's not any evidence other than this is a moist, swampy area that collects water, but the water isn't good. Okay, in this junction, we did a little filming. You can actually see they built a, I think it's a dam for the, the flash floods that come through. But you see these holes right here? These are like dried lakes. And he thinks this could be Mara, this area right here. Or it could have been anywhere that the water collected, but it didn't have an outflow, so the water would become stagnant and and uh, and bitter, not drinkable. And that's where the tree, God said, take the tree and throw it into the water. So whether that was Mara or not, we're not sure. Okay, but that is one possible place that's not far from where they came ashore. Okay, so if they came ashore here, you can see where they could walk through these. These are these wadis that come through and they would have caught, you know, obviously they were not climbing mountains with uh, you know a couple million people they're going to be walking through natural passageways 
And there were a lot of uh, roads and trade routes in that time. And probably these modern roads, these are the roads we drove a bunch, are, are almost exactly where the old trade roads would have been. So let's say that that's Mara. The next point that the Bible tells us about that they went to is a place called Elim, E-L-I-M. And so they've identified an oasis in the middle of the desert. Hopefully I can find it for you. That is called, or that, that we, the Bedouins call it Elim. So here we go. There it is. Yeah, there it is. Okay, so you see all these green dots? These are palm trees. You see them all in here? So there's obviously fresh water. All the rest of this area is all dry. This is just all wilderness. It's all desert. This is just a dry creek bed. There's no water in it except for flash floods. And then you come to this place. The Bible describes it as having 12 wells and 70 palm trees. Now guess how many they, they went and counted. Uh, there were springs. They've made them into wells. They've actually encased them with concrete. Guess how many wells they found in Elam or in this oasis? 12. Now they found more than 70 palm trees, but not a lot more than 70. And obviously that, that number could change, but it's a, it's a large number of palm trees and 12 wells. Is this Elam? It's just amazing to be able to find these places as you're there out in the wilderness. So as we're there filming at Elam and we're doing different segments, all of a sudden all these camels start walking by. Hey everybody, we are at the oasis, perhaps of Elam, the, one of the stops of Israel before Sinai, and there goes a caravan of camels right through this big oasis in the middle of nowhere. Amazing. Now you see that truck. These are all just camels walking around, but they all belong to someone. It's like sheep. They actually herd the camels. It's so weird. It's just, it's exactly as you would expect it to be if you went back to, you know, Bible times or Lawrence of Arabia. You know, it was really, really fun. Okay. So then from there, now if you're reading the Exodus account, it says after that they went to the place where there was no water and water came out of the rock. Okay. Um, but there's a, there's an account in, another biblical um, source that says that they encamped next after Elam at another oasis on the Red Sea, okay? Now, if Exodus didn't include that oasis, doesn't mean that they didn't stop there. It's just that that passage in Exodus didn't contain every last little detail, and this other passage did in Numbers, so they found another oasis that's right, right there on the Red Sea. So Elam, the place we just were, were at, was right up here. So they could have come down here to a place called Magna. And there in Magna, there is a place today called the Springs of Moses. And, and there, look at all, it's just all desert and dry. And all of a sudden there's trees. It's this, it's another oasis. Water's coming up out of the ground, even today. And, uh, they called this, um, they called this place the, the Springs of Moses. Here we did a segment and we reached down right here. There's water literally bubbling up out of the ground. 
And I, um, I reached down into that water as, as, as we were filming. And then we walked away to do another segment. And then about 20 different county looking guys came in all their trucks and they went to, and looked exactly where I put my hand. I don't know. Did I pollute something? Did I stop up something? I don't know. It was weird. So they're probably still looking for us, but that's maybe that's the oasis that they would have gone to next. It's right there. Okay. So you're following along here. They crossed the Red Sea. They went to Mara. We don't know exactly where that is, but it could be there. They went down to Elam. They went down to Magna. Now it says after that, they went to Horeb, which is another place for uh, another name for Mount Sinai. I believe it's the one and the same. When you read Mount Sinai or Sinai in the Bible and Horeb, it's the same place. It's also called the mountain of God. So there's three different names for that same place. But on the way over there, I want to take you to, I mean, look at the modern day map right here, Median. Okay. This is called Albad or Albada. And it's the, it's a, it's a town that they found ruins. The ruins they call the tombs of Jethro. And they, they found this ancient well. And they attribute this well today to Jethro. So again, it has all of the, the, the things that you would expect uh, right here. And here is a picture of the well. And you see this, the steps that are uh, carved right into the rock as it went down. This is an ancient well. And then these are ancient tombs nearby. These could have been uh, originally houses, homes, just like Petra. Uh, they, they're carved right out of the rock. And uh, we, again, uh, told all that on in the Engrace filming that we did. Okay, so now this gets very exciting. Maybe they would have stopped in, said hi to Jethro. Hey, you know, father-in-law, how's it going? Um, picked up some supplies, maybe some... Some nice uh, cakes or cookies or something. And then they went up to, it says that they went into the wilderness of sin. And there the people started complaining again. Okay. And then God told Moses to do what? To hit a rock. To hit a rock. Why would God tell Moses to hit a rock? Because Jesus was going to be struck. And Jesus, from Jesus comes living water. Right? So these are all pictures that God is giving us, all these types and all these pictures of what's to come. So you find, now, is this the actual split rock? And by the way, in Exodus, it doesn't say the rock split. It said God, it said Moses hit the rock and water came out. But in the Psalms, it says that Moses hit the rock and it split and water came out. Okay, so it gives us a little more detail. And here is on the back side of this mountain range. This mountain range is called Jebel Al-Laz. Laz is, is um, almond and Jebel is mountain, mountain range. Okay, so these are the, the mountains of Al-Laz. And I believe that Mount Sinai is right here. So just on the backside of Sinai is this big, huge, massive split rock. Um, the rock probably stands from the floor of the auditorium up to the cloud. I'm guessing that's about how big this thing is. And uh, I'll give you a video. Okay, guys, I know I keep saying this, and I'm going to say it again. You're not going to believe where I'm at. Check this out. This is a massive, massive rock sticking up, and it's split. Now, in Exodus, it says that Moses hit a rock, 
and water came out. We think this is the rock. You say, well, then why are you calling it a split rock? Well, the reason is because in Psalms, it talks about the rock that Moses hit uh, split. And so is this it? It sure seems like it. It's right in the right area. We're just on the other side of what is probably Mount Sinai, Jabal Makla. And it, it, everything in this area fits. What else happened here? Well, remember Moses, uh, as they were fighting the uh, Amalekites, uh, he, every time he had his, his hand up, uh, they were winning. And then when his arms went down, they were losing. So Aaron and her held up his arms. All of these things happen, maybe even the burning bush right here. Awesome. All right, so you, you, as you go read through the Bible, now you're gonna actually have a place where you know they're all encamping, and the Amalekites come on the on the uh, the rear guard of the people. Where the people are weary, they're tired, and they start picking off people. And uh, when Moses' arms are up, they're winning. You know, all of these things come to life. Another thing that would have probably happened right in this area is the burning bush. Now you're not going to believe what happened. We lit a dry scrub brush on fire. We did. And it burnt. And it was consumed. Just as you would expect it to, to be. <laughs> we were hoping for maybe an, a miracle. It, it didn't burn very well, but it burned enough to get a, a video of it. So I didn't, I didn't give that to you. You have to wait for the series to come up. Okay, so we, we go from the split rock of Horeb, where water came out. And they found erosional properties uh, coming out of that rock as well. Okay. And again, all of this fits. There, all of these pieces to the puzzle are all there. That's why I just really feel like uh, this is it. So there's the split rock right here. Now to get over to Mount Sinai or uh, Jabal Makla, uh, you have to go around because this is all mountainous in here. There's no easy way through. But there are some routes up and back down and they would have been all camping on the eastern side. And this is really interesting, okay? So this is the peak of Mount, what we're, what we're going to call Mount Sinai, okay? And all this area out here is this big, huge open plain. There, and I'll show this to you in a minute, they found what they think is the altar to the golden calf. They found here at the base of Mount Sinai what they believe to be the altar of Moses. Remember, Moses set up 12 pillars. There's actually marble bases for pillars that are st that are there on the ground right now and then um uh, there's a cave remember moses was in a cave elijah was in a cave and there's one cave right there there's also a bench a place that uh you know the the 70 elders went up with moses and aaron and they waited on kind of a plateau there's a plateau there as well that's where we got up halfway up and and had our lunch and then continued up from there. But uh, it's, it's the same as the tabernacle. Remember the tabernacle faced east. You have the Holy of Holies. So if all of this is, is representing the same thing, you have the Holy of Holies where God's presence was on the top of the mountain. You have that bench area a little bit lower where you have the holy place where the, the, the priest could go, but, but not, any, not anyone else. Then at the bottom, we have an altar. We have the altar. As you go out of the tabernacle, the temple, holy of holies, holy place, altar, right? There's also evidence of water, uh, a stream down here. So you have the, the laver. 
And then you have the people all the way out there on the camp, all going east. And, and again, not conclusive, but interesting. Okay, let's go through some of these places. This is what we think might be Mount Sinai. They're uh, at the point here. And I'll talk about that, uh, the, the black look that it has in a minute. Hey everybody, we are at an amazing place. You're not going to believe this. We think that is Mount Sinai. Uh, the, the black peak right there. Uh, so we're going to attempt to climb it. It's called Jabal Makla, and it's in the Jabal Allah's range here in Saudi Arabia. There's evidence on the other side where there's an altar. This is the area of the Midians. So this is where Moses would have first seen the burning bush, uh, the mountain of God, it was called then. So uh, this is going to be awesome to try to climb this, and hopefully we'll we'll make it and survive this. Uh, but this trip's have been amazing. We're going to put all this together in a series for the fall uh, for In Grace called the Exodus, and we're going to trace it from Egypt all the way here to Saudi Arabia, and this is our final destination. Uh, so uh, it's been awesome, and uh, this is going to be great. One last view of Mount Sinai. So makla actually is an Arabic word for burnt, and isn't it interesting that the just the top third of this is black? Now, if you look at a satellite view like we did earlier, you're going to see a lot of that dark color in this mountain area. So I'm definitely not going to say that burnt is because of the presence of God. But remember, the presence of God came down on the mountain. There was fire, there was earthquakes, thunderings, you know, it was, it was incredible. Um, but uh, that could have been a natural formation as a result of volcanic activity and the flood. But I have that piece of it. And when you, when you break it, it's not dark inside. It's just dark on the outside. So they're doing more testing on that to see uh, what that might be. So we went and climbed up that mountain, and it was quite a climb. Oh, this is that, that uh, area. You know, let me go back and try to zoom in and show you what could be the altar of Moses. He built an altar at the bottom of Mount Sinai. And actually, this said a few days ago, the altar of Aaron. And I went in and changed it, and I guess Google accepted my change. Now it says altar of Moses. So, so this is the very bottom of the mountain. Uh, there's this, this uh, stream here. It's not, there's no water in it now, but we think there would have been water in it at the time. Now look at this. You see this? It looks like a boomerang right, right here. Okay, you can still see it from the satellite view. We have drone view of this and everything too. But that picture I just showed you, see all these uh, white rocks? This is marble. And, and there is a one little vein of marble up on one of the mountains, but it's pretty far away. They would have bring, brought all that, all that down. And perhaps this was what the 12 pillars were and the altar. They say, well, why would, why would they build an altar like this? They think the altar was on one end, but this is, if you want animals to go into a pen, they can't, they have to look like they can see a way out. So that's why you do this 45 degree bend. The animals will go in. Once one goes in, they'll all follow. And this would have been the pen for the animals to be sacrificed here um, on, or somewhere in this area. So again, there's no archaeology on this yet. It's very raw. There's a lot of work that still needs to be done. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say, this is the altar of Moses. But Google Maps says it, so it must be. It does. 
<laughs> oh, don't do that. Keep it. Okay. Oh, there we go. Okay. Let's see if we can go in on this one. Here we go. Okay. So again, these are the, the marble. And I got a piece of the marble too. And I'm going to bring some people and show them and, and see what they say about all this. Here is our halfway up. I'm like almost dead. Okay, we're making progress. I'm out of shape, I admit it. But we're going to make it. Angels may have to carry us, or me. We lost our film crew. We hear the drone, but we don't know where they're at. <laughs> Back there somewhere. I'm sure they're fine. What a view, though. Right? Oh, yeah, look at this view. Look at that view. Our car, it, you know, that's the parking lot, and they kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. At the end, there were just little white specks. And then we're like, we got to go back to those cars. So somehow we did. We made it to the top. It was, it was fun. It really was. It was amazing. It was a wonderful experience. We did the gospel. We filmed the gospel segment with that cross right behind me. And um, then we had this happen. So he made it, but barely. And you know what's really funny? It, said, it says IDF, Israeli Defense Forces. I think they want their hat back. <laughs> no, I'm impressed uh, that, that Terry did so well on this whole, this whole endeavor. Okay, so then let me show you one more thing, and then we'll, we'll come to a conclusion here. So all these pieces seem to come together, don't they? It's very interesting, at the very least. At the same mountain, they, they actually found another thing I didn't even film. Uh, there's a cemetery nearby, an ancient cemetery. Remember the whole golden calf um, episode where a, a bunch of people died because of that? Because of, the, of making the golden calf? So maybe that's, maybe that's where they were buried. We don't know. Okay, so right in that same vicinity, you could easily walk from where we parked. Uh, we parked our cars um, somewhere right in this area. And just across the road, right here, and I'm going to bring you into it uh, with some pictures and a drone shot of it, is it's, it's enclosed with a fence. You see this natural, this is a modern fence. And it's enclosed, but they have the gate open. So you can actually go in there. You see this? It's just a pile of rocks. They didn't build this pile of rocks. These are just huge rocks. But it's flat at the top. And all, all around it are um, engravings of cows. Look at this. And everyone that looks at it says that's Egyptian. That's exactly how they draw cows. And these are, these are old. This isn't somebody just scribbling on it now. And there's a bunch of these all over the place. And so it fits with cow worship. It fits with the golden calf. Moses was up for 40 days. They thought, well, uh, we've lost Moses. So uh, Aaron, we're going to have to have one of the Egyptian gods lead us on the rest of this journey, make us a golden calf. And they, they did. He did. It's unbelievable. As God is saying, and he had already told the people, don't put any gods before me. He had already told them that before Moses went up on the mountain. So as he's inscribing with the finger of God, the Ten Commandments, the first of which, don't put any other gods before me, they're putting a God before him. Breaking the law. 
The law is good in the sense that it points us to the fact that we can't save ourselves. We have to put our full trust in Jesus. So it's not a bad thing, but it's inadequate. It, it was glorious because Moses came down with his face shining. But it, there, there's something much better today. And all of this is interesting and it's amazing. But we have something greater. Here's a drone shot of, and you see right here before I start the move of the drone, this is another cow carving and it's way up on the top of the pile of rocks where we were filming. It was way down here and there's, they're all over the place. Do you all see that cow right here? Okay. So we'll start the drone shot. There's the cow right there. And by the way, there's Mount Sinai. So you can kind of get an idea that's facing West and the, the altar of Moses would have been down here at the base. And there is this huge natural pile of rocks. Could you, can you just picture a golden calf sitting on the top? It just seems right. Everything about this whole thing seems right. And I always wondered, the wanderings of the wilderness, they were just going in circles in the Sinai? You know, it doesn't make sense to me. What I think they did, the wandering, the 40-year wanderings, they could have gone right in, by the way, but they didn't have the, the faith, did they? They didn't believe the two spies. And so they had to wander. I think that wandering was through, through Saudi Arabia. Okay, that makes much more sense to me than uh, this random wandering. And by the way, Paul might even have gone to Sinai. After he got saved, he implies that he went to Sinai, where he had to relearn everything. He had to rethink everything that he had, he had learned. He had missed Jesus somehow. And after he believed in Jesus, I think he went to Mount Sinai. I think he went to the same cave Elijah did. Just all of these things come together here, and it was an amazing experience, a wonderful thing to, to go there. And maybe one day you all could go, but at least now you've been there, right? You've been there on the special message. Galatians 4, verse 21, tell me, you that desire to be under the law. Can you believe people wanted to be under the law? But listen, you do too. You want to follow a list of rules. You want to, you want to please God by your works. The Galatians had left the grace of God, you foolish Galatians. They wanted to go back under the law. And he's saying, what, what do you desire under the law? Do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a, a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. And there's a contrast between Hagar and Sarah and Isaac and Ishmael. And he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Do you see the, the contrast here? Do you want to live under law? Do you want to live under bondage? Or do you want to live under grace? Do you want to live under promise? Do you want to live by faith? Don't go back to that. That's one thing that people keep wanting to do is going back to live under law. And that's what I think Lordship Salvation is. I think that's actually what Calvinism is. It's living under law, not living under grace anymore. Which things are an allegory. So don't ever think that anything that's in the Old Testament is, is not relevant. It's all relevant. Okay, The bondwoman, the free woman, uh, the two covenants, the Old Testament, the New Testament, Mount Sinai, and the new Jerusalem. All these are contrasted. The one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar, Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. There it is, in Arabia. And answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. 
So he equated Sinai and Jerusalem, the, the actual Jerusalem, but Jerusalem, which is above, and we know there's a new Jerusalem coming down, so the Jerusalem above is heaven, and one day heaven will come to earth, which is the mother of us all. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Do you want to live under grace? you want to live, live under law? You know? Grace. Absolutely. Absolutely. So where is Mount Sinai? Maybe you now know. But the, the more important thing is, don't put yourself under the law. Live in grace. Live in the light of what God has done. Uh, you know, serve him every day. It's not about a place. It's about a person, and it's about... Uh, serving the Lord and, and understanding grace. And if you really understand grace, you're going to serve the Lord. You're going to be successful in your Christian life. If you don't understand grace, if you're fearful that you can lose your salvation, you're living under the law. If you're fearful that you know, you're never really saved in the first place, you're living under law. Your salvation has nothing to do with yourself. It is only to do with your trust in Jesus. He died on a cross and rose again if you'll put your trust in him. You'll be saved.